0: It's like cradle to grave. He gets on for kids and now he gets on for seniors. So, you know, uh, he is the first vice president of the American council, of the blind, and he is AER's interim executive director. And he's now doing some work for the vision serve Alliance as well. So he's got more hats than it, it's almost possible to wear. Um Our other uh, panelist today is Pris Rogers, and she is just a regular rock star in the business in the field of seniors with um, vision loss. She's been in the field for four decades, involved in both the private and public sectors, Um, She currently, she doesn't like to look backward. She's only looking at the present and future. She is currently the special advisor to the American Foundation for the Blind on Aging and Vision Loss. And she is one of the co-leaders of the Vision Aware Project for the American Printing House for the Blind. Finally, she is co-chair along with Mark Reichert of the Policy and Funding Committee of the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition, which you heard a little bit about in the prior panel, if you were listening to that one, and you'll hear more about in this panel. So, um, welcome, Chris, to, to ACB.
1: Great to be here. Thank you, Tom, Jeff.
0: <laughs> All right. So I am, since I didn't introduce myself, Um Jeff Tom. I am a board member of ACB. I am the president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, which we will mention a bit more later on in this panel. And so I want to ask a few questions of our panelists, somewhat in the manner that uh, Doug Powell just did. So both of you have spent a long time in the trenches battling for improved availability of services for seniors with vision loss. Arguably, there's no more underserved segment of the population than ours. Give us your thoughts on why seniors with vision loss are so dramatically underserved. And I'll let either one of you go first. Ladies first.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I need you to do that to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that older people with vision loss don't think of themselves that way. You know, when they lose vision, they're not they're not thinking of themselves as a part of what we've consciously uh, have thought about in the past. You know, in the blind biz of being blind or even visually impaired, they don't think that way. So um, that's part of the problem. Uh, another part of it is I think that um, aging the aging services that we have in this country are a separate entity. We uh, They're housed in another department and uh, in government and near the twain shall meet, frankly, between our sector on vision loss and, and the aging sector. And um, they don't the aging sector really doesn't think about people with vision loss so much as being part of their uh, service delivery. And People are hidden. I mean, when people lose vision, uh, they can't get transportation. Uh, they don't think about where they might be able to get transportation. Uh, they don't think about going to the aging sector. So um, they they don't even get to the services that might even help identify them in a lot of cases. So you know, I think there are a lot of things. Um, the denial aspect is all there. The fact, of course, that uh, doctors, ophthalmologists uh, don't necessarily refer people. They don't know about the, re- the places to refer. And and even if they did, they don't always have a comfort level in doing it since they are not familiar with our system so much. So there are some, I think it's a barrier, 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 and it's either self-imposed from the person or if the family doesn't know about it or from the, the service delivery systems. So it's, it's all across the board. Um, uh, that this has happened, and I hate to say it, but honestly, I like, like Jeff said, I've been in this field for most of my career, and I don't think it's changed very much. Um, it, that's a scary thing to say, and frankly, an awful thing to say, because it makes me feel like, wow, <laughs> we haven't really you haven't changed anything, although we now do have a new theory of change that we'll probably talk about uh, later on. I don't know whether it was talked about in the previous sec- uh, program or not on what's been going on with um, Vision Service Alliance and what we're trying to do with our coalition on aging and vision loss. But um, but anyway, um, my own take on it is it hasn't changed. And now it's time. We've just got to make a change. Um, so. Um, I think it was Doug was talking about don't let anybody know you're retiring because you might get uh, involved in things. Well, I'm not going to retire because I'm already too involved, in, and I want to see something happen before I retire. So anyway, I'm going to turn it over to Mark. You might have a different take on the whole thing.
2: No, not um, at all. I, I don't know if uh, – uh- if this will add anything. But of course, now that I have the microphone, I can't resist the temptation. So uh, of
1: course not. uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, it's so fun to be teased. Um, So we, you know, I think when you look at the span, when you look at the span of history, that's, yes, it's going to be one of those little sermons of mine. I mean, we didn't do, even in this country, what, it was 1930s before we started to deal with uh, ensuring some level of uh protection and support for for especially older folk uh uh through the social security act and of course that's had to be modified over the course of time and then you get to uh you know lyndon johnson and the great society mid 1960s uh with you know when older americans act at the beginnings of that whole world were kind of put in into shape and uh and that and then you you know sort of fast forward to today of course along the way in the blindness system you've had since then, uh, the creation of a a, a modest but uh, indispensable program uh, with a with an unfortunately long but very nevertheless very descriptive name, the Independent Living Services for Older Individuals Who Are Blind program, which is under the Rehab Act of nineteen seventy three. So, uh, I think you know how, what what that I think should help to indicator is just, you know, serve as a, a few indicators uh, is the extent to which the entire country, you know, our, our society has has not ever really uh, lived up to the, one of the Ten Commandments, right? Honoring, honoring your parents, honoring your father and your mother, and taking care of folk as they get older. We've made some attempts at that, uh, I do not hold myself out as some kind of aging expert, uh, you know, like Pris or the folks who were the champions for decades, you know, uh, for the older Americans. But you just have to look at it I, to, to recognize the many systems that are put in place there, but how deficient, if for no other reason, the amount of money it is that's devoted to those programs, how deficient they really are based on the needs. So then you look at our world and, and who are our people. And there's maybe, you know, 12 million folks who are older uh, who live with vision loss. And if you were to, you know, knock on their door and ask to come in for a cup of tea and, and say, you know, hi, I'm here from the blindness system and I'm here to help, uh, that many of them would likely say, well, you might have come to the wrong house uh, because nobody here is blind. I'm just having a little trouble seeing is all. And, and so it is very much is an identity problem. So it you got it on both sides. You have the the overall failure of the country to really uh, stand up to the challenge of providing for and supporting and being there uh, for older people generally, whether they have issues with their eyeballs or not. And then you have our own what you know what I would call our people who who don't identify uh, with us, and when they don't identify, that means they don't uh, demand. The services that should be of use to them if they had any inkling that such services existed at all uh, or that they could really benefit from them and so I think those are the real challenges that that we have in terms of, of making change on top of the obvious ones like anytime you have your hand out asking for additional money you know it's a challenge and anytime Congress is involved it's going to be a you know snail's pace to get things changed but those macro issues are really we've got to confront them head on
0: so I'm going to add another one that I've noticed in some of my advocacy work and yeah. um, put a little of the blame on ourselves. I, I don't think that the um, neither the independent living center field, which we just saw with Kelly's yep. not quite complete understanding of our issues, you might say. And I'm Kelly's a good guy. I like Kelly a lot, but they don't understand our issues completely, nor does the general aging field understand right. our issue and right. i think in part that's our own field's fault uh-huh. for not doing a better job of educating these other folks in the system about what our unique needs and our general needs are and and i so i think we bear some responsibility too, both as advocates and as providers uh-huh. i would say okay I so yeah, yeah uh, um there was a little discussion in the la- uh, sort of- Actually, a-
2: hey, Jeff, if you don't, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, it just hit me. It's so relevant, especially in connection with the previous panel, as we are so, it's like so many things in life. It's a, the same thing that is so important to you or that you can boast about how good, you know, amazing you are in this area. It can also be the same thing that can really be a pain, right, and a difficult thing. So in the blindness field, we've fought for decades, preserve specialized services. Let's have this- special system developed because nobody else can do it better. And Lord knows if we're put in all, with all those other people, they're going to take our stuff away. All that I think is very true. And and I don't want anybody to hear this presentation and say, wow, Mark doesn't support specialized services. But we have to recognize that when you do that, when you take that kind of approach, then Jeff, exactly what you're talking about happens. We talk to ourselves and are not talking to those other people. And, uh, and so we're kind of the, the chickens are kind of a little bit coming home to roost uh, with that strategy, I think.
1: Yeah, and even with our own sector, we haven't taken aging and vision loss seriously.
2: Oh, that's true.
1: We really haven't. I mean, of course, we have the wonderful OIB program. I'm not saying we don't. But there hasn't been across the board consistent management of it and buy-in into it. Um, We have Mississippi State University now with the OIB TAC, which has really helped. And I'm glad that they are there and they're making a difference. But on the whole, the field hasn't taken to heart the aging and vision loss needs, um, I right. you know, really haven't. And so I, I agree with you. We have a lot of the onus on us as well because we haven't taken that on and really yeah. looked at it. And yet older people with vision loss make up the bulk of the population. Um, so it's another issue. So.
0: so the aging and vision loss national coalition, which was briefly discussed by Lee and our Lee Nasahi in our last panel is the The national uh, initiative, the current national initiative, that attempts to make programs and services for seniors with vision loss a priority in this country. What must happen, in your opinions, for this initiative to be successful? And what major policy changes do we need to consider? Other than just that billion dollars that we've been talking about all
3: day. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh wow! well, I think we I mentioned that we had um come up with a, a theory of change which Lee led us through, which I think was uh is really important for us to really look at what do we want to change and how do we want to make it happen and uh, we looked at some of the things we already talked about in terms of the barriers that we have but but we also looked at what are the things what can we do you know what are the Uh, activities what are the things that we can put in in place to try to make that change and um, I don't know how much Lee talked about it Uh, some of the actions that we talked about uh, with that theory of change were at awareness uh, in terms of a national awareness campaign uh, that we would develop and I think we actually have a goal group that's working on that and that awareness campaign would um not Not only be to older people with vision loss, but also be engaging partnerships with eye care and other medical professionals and allied health care um so we were um so we're we're looking at that as a major strategy to try to get the word out that you know services are there uh you can you know all all those types of things uh, another part of it is the of course the data and research and we, every time we talk about needing more money for this program, we come right back around to the fact that we don't have the requisite data and research to be able to um, really say, well, this if we do this, then this will occur. So uh, again, we have a group in our um, uh, coalition and, uh, that we're working on that aspect of it and what we can look at uh, to do that would bring that information, not only from the statistics that we need to prove the point, but what to show, you know, that the, the work really does matter and in evidence-based information and evidence-based research. And uh, we already talked really about access, but that's another part of what we really need to look, about, look at in terms of, for example, uh, we talked about aging and how they don't really know much about us. Well, they don't even have a way to screen people who come into their programs to even know that they have vision loss. So we've been talking about doing something like that as well. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole funding and policy piece, um, which I won't get into detail because I guess we'll be talking about that later on. But all of those things are, came up, are part of our theory of change that all of these things really have to happen all together. It's not just one thing. You have to have an integral, an integrated system and approach to really try to make a difference in trying to get aging and vision loss to the top of the food chain, so to speak, and get people paying attention to it, whether it be the public, whether it be the individual with vision loss, whether it be the professionals, you know, because it's everybody. It's not just one sector. You have to have it all working together to be able to get um, people who need services to the table to get those services and understand that they are out there and what they can do for them. Mark, over to you.
2: Thanks. Uh, so you queued up very nicely the work of our committee, Chris and I co-chair this thing called the policy and funding committee, uh, because if you're in the blindest community, you gotta, and you, and you want to work together, you, get, you gotta have committees. Uh, Cause that's just, it's like, it's a, it's a requirement somewhere. And the more committees and subcommittees you have, uh, I don't know, the more, the more boxes of ramen noodles they send you for your birthday or something. I don't know what it is, but in any case, the AVLNC, the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition, uh, which, by the way, I'll just put an aside here. Thank you to our friend Lee Nasahi and our colleagues in Vision Serve Alliance, who really did um, grab the reins when they were handed uh, off by the American Foundation for the Blind, grabbed those reins hard and well and competently, uh, and uh, and had kept this, this effort going. Uh, and uh, so, we, as part of the, that coalition, we've got uh, four different committees. Uh, there's one that's focused on uh, what press was just talking about—access to quality uh, services—and really getting into some of those issues. We've got a committee devoted to data and research, not only gathering it but also translating it for various audiences and deploying data and research in effective ways. As we help, you know, develop a narrative. Uh, for policymakers and influence folk, influencers, uh, so that, you know, uh, that, that, the numbers are there to support our, our case. And then, uh, and a third committee having to do with public awareness, uh, in the broadest possible sense. And that's building off of, in many ways, work, uh, that the, uh, that the, Sylvia Perez and others, uh, her colleagues there at Mississippi State University as part of something called the OIB TAC or Technical Assistance Center. Uh, but in any case, uh, you know, really saying, uh, trying try to connect the dots around what we were talking about earlier, which is, if people don't know what's out there, don't know frankly what it is that they're missing, how can they? How, how can we? Uh, how can they articulate a, an appropriate, uh, an actionable demand uh, for it? So our committee then is the fourth one having to do with policy and funding, and you know we won't get into. I won't nerd out too much on the policy and funding piece as much as I love to do such things. But I think the approach that we're trying to take, uh, at least for the, the shorter term, is to develop what some people inside the Washington Beltway refer to as a message bill. It's a, you know, for all intents and purposes, what it means is a comprehensive piece of legislation that, sure, you hope does become law someday, but really, you know, going into it is likely not going to, you know, as a total package, just as you wrote it end up on Mr. Biden's desk for signature, lovely though that would be. Uh, the message bill is really going to contain that comprehensive set of changes uh, that we hope uh, to, to, to work on. And the purpose of a bill like that, not unlike the Cogswell-Macy bill, if that means anything to some of you, uh, is to to develop champions uh, for our cause who can push that bill for sure, but also help us push specific aspects of it, whether it be funding for the older blind program or other uh, ch- structural changes, like Chris was talking about. So we are in the process now. And Jeff, thank you so much uh, for your partnership and our friends and colleagues in AAVL uh, who actively reached out to us and said, "Hey, we want to. We, we're, we're enthusiastic partners in this. We want to uh, formally be uh, structurally part of what you're doing." Uh, that's great. And uh, and so we're in the process right now of sort of walking through what should some of these changes be. And uh, Pris and I had a, uh, led a lovely, uh, lively discussion a few days ago, uh, where we put some, you know, maybe way outside the box ideas on the table, but for the purpose of getting people to, you know, roll up their sleeves and do a little bit of arm wrestling with with each other. Uh, Because making change is always tough. And uh, especially if we're talking about change to existing programs that we clearly depend on and don't want to ruin, but maybe, you know, need to reform and transform a little bit Uh, so it's an ongoing process so stay tuned about as that legislation develops
0: okay and that's a great process and you know we hope that in the not too distant future there will be some real messaging that you can all see uh, in terms of what we'd love to have happen in a perfect Mm -hmm. world So let me ask a a, another question that gets a little more to my hat as the current president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. And by the way, um, although we've been doing a a tremendous job in the last couple of years of increasing our membership by like 300% over the last two and a half years or so, Uh, um, by rights, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss should be the biggest uh, entity in ACB because most of us, most blind, or most people who are blind or who have significant vision loss, are 50 years and older. Yeah. So, I encourage all of you to join our organization, become involved in some of our many projects and others that we just, you know, the more members we have, the more projects we'll do. And that's a precursor to the next question. Often ACB members look at participating in advocacy efforts as a task that is so daunting, they just shy away from it. What role can ACB and the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, and specifically the grassroots members throughout the country play in helping to achieve success for the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition effort?
1: Well, one of the things that we have been looking at and, and, and planning on setting up is a, as an advocacy training program uh, to train uh, people, older people with vision loss, to really get out there and advocate for whatever it is we're going to come up with with this bill. Uh, and we think that We've got a wonderful cadre of people who understand the issues and would be awesome in in, in messaging. So uh, that's our one of the next things after we get this message bill completed uh, and what we want to say in that that we're going to start working on is is that whole advocacy toolkit and training and so forth. And interestingly enough, Jeff, we actually did something like that. 20 years ago and involved you all. Uh, But of course that stuff is outdated and we need to, you know, and it wasn't, it was more self advocacy oriented rather than this kind of advocacy, but still, but um, we think that that would be awesome. If uh, y'all could get involved in that and and help us out in, in pulling that off. Plus we're going to need champions, you know, in every state to, uh, to, to, you know, Talk to people and we haven't really developed state fact sheets. We haven't gotten that far yet, you know, in our whole work. But all of that is is yet to come in terms of us uh, preparing and so forth. And uh, and I think the other thing is, from my perspective, is we're always talking about how we have to be at the table if we're not at the table at the meetings where things are taking place whether no matter what it happens to be whether it's planning for transportation or whether it's planning you know whatever it happens to be in in a person's community then we're then we get forgotten and so getting on those advisory councils getting involved in all those things uh and getting known i think that's part of the whole thing um You can't, you know, we can't hide behind a barrel. We have to be there at the table to for people to know we exist and that we have needs. And so I see that's another uh, part of it as well. So those are my my ideas, Mark.
2: I loved your your allusion to that. Uh, We have a friend, uh, well, all of us do, but especially Chris and I, our former AFB friend and colleague, Dr. Rebecca Sheffield, who loves to quote uh, something that we've heard at conferences and other places. That if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu, and uh, it's cute and mm-hmm. it's also uh, quite true. Uh, uh, if if you're not there defending yourself, uh, they're coming after you to uh, to baste you and put you put you on a put you on a platter, uh, and uh, and so we got to do it. That there's no way there are too many tables. Mm-hmm. Uh, frankly, there are a lot of tables and a lot of a lot of seats already filled at those tables. So. One of the things that I think uh, an aavl can do, and I think you have already done this in some to, 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 to a large extent, is to you know it's easy to say to people, "Hey, uh, would you be willing to help?" And have people say, "Yeah, I'm happy to help." At a you know a conference or a a luncheon or even a virtual event like this, it's another thing entirely to to literally line them up. Uh, get their name, rank, and serial number and have them take the closest thing to a blood oath that says, yes, uh, I will be willing to uh, spend time at uh, meetings locally uh, to show up and, uh, and uh, occasionally speak up when there are public, uh, what do they call those things? Public comment period, things like that. Even if the message is simply, hi there, I'm an older person living with vision loss. So I'm involved in this larger movement. We want to work with you because I don't think any of us are working as well together as we should. Just even that kind of thing. And sometimes you hear, uh, you know, we think of as the average consumer person who, like you say, Jeff, says, well, I don't want to do that uh, because if I stand up and I mean, I don't know these issues the way these other people do. You know what? That's perfectly fine. And and when you don't know something, uh, that doesn't mean that you look like a fool. It means that you look authentic. And, and and to be ready then when someone asks like well what about this what about that what solutions do you have and the individual advocate says can say um, love to put you in touch with some other folks who who may have more info than me let's get a meeting scheduled, that sort of thing it's it's having that network of conduits out there advocate conduits uh, that's really that's really important I think and uh, so if we can start to develop that in a way that um, you know I, Okay, and I'll just wrap up and say the big thing, and this is why I'm so grateful that ACB is you know continuing even in these virtual days to reach out to policymakers. Is yes, the thing that you ask for, the issues you care about, the little one pagers or whatever that you hand out, or the emails you send. Of course, all that stuff is important. If it weren't, we wouldn't do it. But fundamentally, uh, it's about building relationships, Mm -hmm. uh, which means which means Even though our little message bill, like we talked about a moment ago, isn't, you know, off the printing, the proverbial printing press yet, uh, there is no better time than the present to make that kind of outreach that I just described at your local, you know, uh, aging-related, you know, center or project or whatever. Now is the time to reach out to those policymaker folks and their staff. If for no other reason than to say, hey, I'm out here. I'm older, living with vision loss, and I'm going to be talking to you over the course of time. You're, you're going to get to know me really well. And and by the way, policymaker and staff, I may not have all the answers, but count on me to be your information pipeline so that when you get questions, which you do all the time, policymaker, about folks who say I'm losing my vision or I've got social security troubles or I've got this or that, you want to put them in touch with somebody or a network who can address their specific vision-related needs, count me in. It, it's that kind of stuff that will be so critical for us so that when we meet with them about the message bill or anything else that we want to take, it's, it's just another meeting of friends sitting down to talk about things, that we're not starting to build that relationship from scratch.
0: In fact, Mark, do you think it would be a reasonable thing to do um, when we have these Hill visits and we are pitching our Medicare low vision aids bill to just throw in a line or two about how really this is just the tip of the iceberg for um, the independence of seniors of vision loss? I and, mean, you know, we may be coming back with with even you know, more ingredients to, you know, complete the recipe. But this is a major step forward. Something along those lines to give them an idea that this is a continuing battle that we're trying to win.
2: Yeah, Amen. And I think, uh, you know, first of all, everyone should do exactly what Clark Rockfall tells them to do about getting up there, on on, you know, with with policymakers. But I would say I, I have always tried to make it a habit at some point during your ten or fifteen minutes of fame you know that you get with these policymakers and their staff, at some point in that discussion, you essentially almost have to name drop issues, which is to say you come in there with your three priorities for whatever that, that you absolutely need to do that, and you need to have in hand you know what are the specific asks that we have of this office, whether it's co-sponsor this, join that letter, sort of that's of course. And then at some point though, uh, you, you're uh, you're going to be sitting across the virtual table from somebody who, frankly, uh, may not have as part of their portfolio the Medicare bill, the uh, you know physical uh, uh, you know uh, physical fitness or technology related uh, interest. You may have someone who's there uh, who's a parent uh, in their personal life and in their professional life they're working on gee I don't know agriculture or whatever it happens to be. It could be a whole wide variety of things. And something about what you bring up will connect with them. I can't tell you the number of times when you go to these meetings, you have your three little agenda items, you stick rigidly to them, and somehow on the way out the door, you're saying, yeah, well, where's your next me, I'm going to talk to so and so, and yeah, you know, and you br- you just happen to mention that you're working on I don't know quiet cars or you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter, and that and all of a sudden that thing that you happen to mention in passing, seemingly having nothing to do with anything else that resonates because the person you're talking to might actually have that there so i love the idea of just you, know, you don't have to take as much time as i'm taking right now to say all this but at some point in your meetings to to just sort of name drop you know the issues that these are part of what we're talking about here as a part of a portfolio and don't be surprised if some one of those things you happen to name drop uh gets their attention
1: yeah you might have someone who has a a grandmother has vision problems or you never know where it's going to, where the intersections. And that's where I've found the most intersection, frankly, is with people who have family members who have vision loss and they haven't known what to do. Do you think it would be useful for us? um, We haven't put any briefs together, but just maybe a paragraph or so that just gives a couple of details that, um, that people could take with them and they could have them if they have the opportunity.
0: Sure. We'll, we'll, Certainly you can send something out and we'll we can you know I can certainly send it to my membership if people want to see it. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, we put together this lengthy uh, brief. It's got too much stuff, but we could pull out a couple of really critical That's points.
0: Yeah. Sure. You know,
1: that we sure. could use. Yeah. That would be helpful.
0: The
2: proverbial elevator speech. Uh,
1: there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah.
0: So um, let me ask our host and I don't know who it is. Uh, the last one I heard was Larry, but I'm not sure if Larry's <laughs> still our host or not. Uh if we have any uh hands raised or if you want to raise your hands now, go ahead and we'll see if we have any questions. To this throw is out to our This
4: is Lucy, I'm your host. Oh, hey, Lucy. Hey. Hi Jeff, hi Mark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, we do have some raised hands. Great. Um, let's see. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Area <laughs> code, <laughs> area code I purposely 508. I previously left
0: some time, so <laughs> yeah. yeah. let go
4: for it. Area code 508. You should be uh, able to unmute. Hello.
3: Hello. Hi, Jeff. This is your new hey. friend, Jane Perry from Falmouth, Massachusetts. I'm Cape Cod. <laughs> And I want to make a little point, if I may. I'm going to do a little uh, PSA for you people. If you are out there and haven't joined a, a, uh Aging Alliance for Vision Loss, you better get on board right now. Because Jane, you're my
0: best friend.
3: I want to tell you, I am a young 65-year-old person next month. And I have met so many new friends. I have learned so much. Um, the in and out session for ACB puts out on Tuesdays afternoon. Sandy and uh, Rick, her husband, they are great. They are welcoming. You are welcoming. And uh, uh, Teresa Patch, um, she does vision abilities. So if, if you want to be part of the organization, please join. The other thing, too, is for someone that used to lobby intensively with the Business and Professional Women's Organization, and now have just rejoined my local um, ACB chapter in Massachusetts. And I hope they're listening. And I want to know that they're going to be hearing from this bad penny down here in Cape Cod. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my dad, who was my mentor and did lobbying for the Southwestern Manufacturer Homeowners in uh, Florida. He told me, you know, Jane, if you want to be part of the solution, you got to be part of the problem. And no question is foolish. Because what you might ask might tip somebody else that you go with you. And also, don't be afraid to keep asking the questions. Don't come, Don't be afraid to come back. Um, and I really, really think I came in the middle of this one because I was on the other track. But thank you so much for allowing me to speak to you. And, Jeff, you'll be hearing from me. Bye-bye. <laughs> thank now. you, Jane.
0: Always good to hear from Jane. <laughs> Next.
3: Okay. Karen?
4: You should be able to unmute. Um, thank you. Question, and this is probably a
1: larger question. We talk about um, the fact that the aging services and the blindness system, they don't intersect anywhere. It, would it be a good idea at some point
3: to maybe put the older blind services Uh, into, you know, our services for older blind with visual
1: impairments, should that go under the um, older blind system? And if so, would we be able to get increased funding if we did that?
0: So I think the question is, do we want to move from RSA, Rehabilitation Services Administration, Into the administration for community living, um, and what impact would that have? Great question, Karen.
1: Yeah, and yes, that is my question. And is it something that we should consider?
2: So the 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 short. Thank you so much, Karen. Uh, As as always, you you've got your finger on on the pulse, and and you know one of the hot. Okay, let's cut to the chase. And what are we really talking about here? Uh, get down to brass tacks. So good for you. I, I, I think the short answer is: should we consider it? Yes, but not because the administration for community living is so wonderful, but but because but to put it frankly, uh, but because because we should be considering any and all options that seem reasonable, doable, politically viable, et cetera, et cetera. That will that will. Amp up the visibility, the structural, you know, uh, pecking order thing, whatever, of of our older blind program. I mean, we need to do a lot more than just the OIB program, and we and we're gonna, uh, uh, principal among them, dealing with uh, Changes to Older Americans Act, among other things. But for sure, we got to touch the OIB program and find a way to make it even better, and 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 put one heck of a spotlight on it. So. How do we do that? I mean, there's been a lot of people who've said, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems with the older blind program is that it's, you know, buried within the United States Department of Education and a program that's supposed to help older folk that should intersect with programs that are avowedly, you know, health care in nature would better fit uh, in uh, the the cabinet agency health and human services, which, of course, is where this uh, administration for community living uh, is located, which also happens to be where the Administration on Aging uh, is located, among other things, including other disability-related programs. The flip side of that, of course, is if that's where all that other stuff is, if we go there, are we just going to get you know gobbled up uh, by the by the bigger fish? And uh, and a lot of people have expressed concern about that. So m- maybe another approach is to say, "Gee, uh, maybe it's not moving." This function to ACL and to over to human health and human services, Uh, but really putting some uh, you know uh, extra spices onto the OIB program and raise its profile by structurally moving it up uh, in that Department of Education food chain. Right? We don't have we don't have a uh, a comparable leader, if you will, uh, to the older blind program as we have for uh, vocational rehabilitation, where the where the the head of that, bureaucratically speaking, is this pres- presidentially appointed, Senate confirmed RSA commissioner. We don't have someone who is an appointed head, uh, like is the case for the Office of Special Ed and and uh, for, for special education programs OSEP. Uh, so maybe we need to think about that and. It's just excellent ideas. I think they all need to be debated and considered. I will share. I don't think there's any telling tales of a school here. When we had our little arm wrestling match phone call uh, last week, you know, we started to talk about this a little bit and have in the past as well. You know, I think there is a natural uh, reticence, is that the right word, uh, to, to uh, move things out, right? Because people say, well, for heaven's sake, we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And uh, we need to improve the program, but let's not take unnecessary chances. And for sure, when you're doing public policy, what you don't want to do is make a change uh, for which you cannot clearly see an outcome. So in my case, right, in other words, be very conservative with a small C. I don't mean politically conservative, but, you know, hesitant, cautious, Uh, because if we move it to ACL, on the one hand, that sounds like a cool way to shake things up. On the other hand, I'm not so sure that we can predict what would happen. And Lord knows, you want to be able when you're crafting public policy to think at least have a pretty reasonable assurance of what you think is going to happen when you if you get your wish and uh, and
0: things are changed. Okay, so any other hands?
4: Oh yeah! <laughs> uh, all
0: right,
4: <laughs> all right, Sandy, you should be able to unmute
5: now. Hi, uh, can you hear me?
0: We can. Uh Let
5: me. Hey, hey Jeff. Um, I am the person who facilitates AAVL's um, support group call for losing site. And Uh -uh. I want to to thank all of you because you guys are doing terrific work. But as you said, you've been doing this for most of your life. And with the exception maybe of Jane, what I'm hearing from people on the support group call and a few other people who contacted me this week is that they have fear. They recognize that they're losing a substantial part of their site. They're not denying it but they are so fearful of what tomorrow is going to be how much darker the world is going to be how are they going to function they are not ready yet to do the advocacy because right now they're scared enough of just how am I going to move tomorrow and they um don't want to make a whole lot of changes in their life. When you're older, you know, you want your life to stay as much as possible the way you've gotten used to. And they're just having the trouble of adjusting to the vision, loss, change in their own life. So I think you're going to have a difficult time with many older people to get them on the advocacy bandwagon.
2: This has Chris Rogers name all over it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I was thinking, one of the things that we've been talking about is to uh, contact the OIB older blind programs throughout the country as well and to see if they could be in contact with consumers uh, who have actually graduated from those programs quote unquote and who want to give back uh, and want to be able to con, you know be involved and so I'm sure that there are some people uh, uh, in uh, your group that would feel the same way if they were given the opportunity. I understand, Sandy, where you're coming from, for sure, because you're talking about people who are still in the throes of trying to deal with with their issues and what what does life mean to them uh, ahead. But I think there's still some people out there who have gotten through and who have gotten help and who, or who have not gotten help. And that's a whole other group of people who are angry and want to and have some way to uh, do something positive to, to make a difference so that they can get services. So I, I'm not going to give up on the fact that there are older people out there who really are interested in, in, in making change. I know in my age group, I'm in the baby boomer age group. And uh we were advocates back in the sixties, um, and some of us haven't changed. <laughs> so I think there are probably uh, still some people out there
4: just like me who want to say,
0: hey, wait a minute, too. This isn't right. Me too. <laughs> All right, Lucy, next hand. Thank you, Sandy.
6: Miss Donna. I'd have two questions. So um what first, um Why can't we, I I work for an agency who serves seniors. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I deal with their transportation, but I see the programs that our agency offers and some of the stuff is not accessible, blah, blah, blah. Anyhow, uh, why, one of the things I think needs to happen is we need to educate, and I mean really educate. Um, These agencies Who directly deal with the seniors Every day Who give them services that they Need every day Or that they participate In to Learn things or learn About other things because they do come to things And so That might bring the problem down a little bit It takes it more down to a little bit of a local level Makes it smaller instead of Maybe thinking big Like national um, I think that might be helpful. Um, also, um, why can't it, you know, I think we definitely need to educate them what the needs are of people who are losing their vision because they understand, they, they know what not being able to see is to a point, <laughs> but they don't get it. And, and I even know that with the group that I work with because yeah, they see me, but they truly still don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, Also, um, um, I think that if we also go, I think I agree that there's seniors out there who want to make change. We should go directly to them into the places they go to every day. Talk to them and tell them, you know, if you help do this, this will change for you. Let them know that there's help out there to help them advocate, that they're not alone. And there's got
0: to be a way to do these things. So Donna, one of the things that the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss is doing that will indirectly get, I think, to your point, <clears throat> excuse me, is that we are trying to, and we're just be, going to begin to roll it out pretty soon on a limited basis and then do more broadly. We are trying to do um, surveys with directors of area agencies on aging now these are the entities throughout the country many are public and others are quasi-public that actually fund all of the older americans Act programs they don't provide the services in most cases but they fund them and we want to get a, do a survey of these entities as best we can to from, by having personal contacts with our members to find out exactly what they know and how they serve in terms of their funding capacities, people with vision loss. And, and why I say this will help is number one, it will give us some data. But number two, it will give us a chance to educate those folks. Uh, who may not know very much about the needs of people with vision loss. So this is an effort that AAVL is is going to undertake. is isn't going to be an easy effort. And the more members we have, the more, you know, calls we can make uh, on these directors to fill out our short survey. So, you know, that's one way of beginning the education process, both to educate ourselves and to educate them.
1: That's great, Jeff. This is Chris. One of the, also, one of the things that we're looking at, we're going to be making a probably making a presentation at the m 4 a which is uh, the National Association of Area Agencies Serving the Blind, to talk about development of some kind of toolkit to help them understand what they need to do, training for staff, all that kind of stuff. And it'd be wonderful if we could do some kind of partnership between what you find out in your survey, because what the director said to us when we came to them with this idea, is, she said, well, how do you know they're not already doing it? And we're like, oh, gosh, give me a break. So <laughs> having the data would really help uh, to, uh, to educate and help them understand they're not. Great. All
4: right, we have three more hands. How many would you like to take?
0: <laughs> uh well let's see. Let's try We're past formal. time already, so Oh, oh but are we? Okay. I forgot what our what our time I thought we had yeah. five
4: minutes.
0: <laughs> okay, if we're done, we're done. Then we have to go on to the next uh item. Um, yeah, it's just where, the, our-
4: the connection uh you know until four o'clock when the general session starts. So if you want to, I mean if you wanna take them, I don't know.
0: Well, let's take them if we can. Okay. I mean, you know, why not? All
4: right, Mona, you should be allowed to unmute.
3: Okay. There you yes, go. Uh, just, just a quick comment as we approach uh, the people that we're going to be talking to about uh, aging people. One of the things I think we need to make very, very noticeable is that it's much more economical to extend the bus route so that those with vision problems can get to town to do what they need to do than it is to support them in a living situation. So I, I think a lot of people just don't understand that one of the main reasons people move into assisted living and end up on state and federal aid is because they're not getting the help they need to live in their homes. Absolutely. a we'll be very good point absolutely that's, right that's it i'm done
2: oh, thank you great point you're not done we'll be coming back to roust you and help you help us yeah, i wrote so
1: you, down your name
3: Mona. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh i'm already on a bunch of other things yeah.
2: <laughs> me too i'm already on a bunch of other lists but for many different reasons unfortunately
3: yeah.
4: okay christine you should be able to unmute i think i am
5: okay you are um i just wanted to ask when, since we really don't have any good data about how this could work if we change the system, would, we, would one of the propositions be to create a demonstration project?
2: Uh, short, answer is, short answer is yes, yes, and yes, I think, you know, as we put this, certainly this bill together, but then uh, for sure, uh, you know, prosecuting, pushing for shorter term things that the Congress can do right now. Uh, instead of having to carry this ginormous piece of legislation we just put before them. You, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you know, not unlike what ACB is uh, pushing now about uh, the Medicare demo. Right. Correct.
0: Okay. And our final hand, I think.
4: Okay, Cassandra, you should be
7: able to unmute. Right.
0: There you go.
7: Hi, good afternoon. First of all, I think this is a, a great thing. And I was kind of chuckling um, because uh, someone. Well, told we're me happy you saying, if
0: you, we could make you chuckle. Well,
7: because, <laughs> because about the time that I said, if you're not at the table, your food on the table, so one yep. of you said that. Uh-huh. I was just thinking it. And so I yep. just thought that was amusing. I'm like, I need you to be at my head right now. Because <laughs> um, so, I said it about the time you did. Um, but my question is. I was listening, and my question is this. Um, so we have uh, AER and all these different places who have different people who are in charge or, or is the main focus. So if we could take older, um, the older population along with the healthcare piece of this and make it its own entity um, as they do with, with the babies and, and the, and the vocational and all that, 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 that part of it. Um, Couldn't we make, if we did that, wouldn't that put us in our own little hub so that we can get the services that we need um, in order to serve the older population?
2: Well, I'll answer from the, 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 you know, federal policy perspective, but I expect Chris, as we kind of close out here, you might have some other thoughts too. So we have, first of all, awesome questions from everybody. It's just it, we do so many of these breakouts, and you know they're all fine. But but you, you guys, you guys, uh, this is a, a special group of attendees here. Uh, very cool. Um, so we I, we're certainly considering structural things to put in place, uh, like an office on aging, vision loss, and you know communications or something, whatever. We don't have to worry about that. but something like that, some structural thing where there is. You know, this is where one can go, uh, and and it it, this is a big debate. You know, because it's once you set up something like that, the question is how many humans are you really talking about staffing it? Therefore, how much money? Which agency does it go in? Who's responsible for it? You know, there are these things that are called interagency committees that do various things. The truth is, some of those interagency committees they they look like hubs, but the truth is they're not. You know, they're not necessarily all that effective. Some of them are, some of them aren't. So, but the short answer is for sure. And you're right to exactly right. Your instinct is absolutely right to have some kind of a clearinghouse, one stop shop type of approach in the policy world to uh, cobble things together. Chris?
1: Yeah, I don't really have anything more to add to that, but we certainly have been looking at that very need uh, in coming up with an office or something that would make sure that there's no wrong door, so to speak, as they have in the aging community. That would be our concept is to make sure that people get access to services however they enter. And so that's important that we do that.
0: Well, I want to thank everybody for participating, both my panelists, uh, Chris Rogers and Mark Reichert. I want to thank Lucy Edmonds for being our hostess with the mostest and all of that. (laughs) And finally, all of you who ask questions and who listen, you know, this is just uh, uh, an enormous topic and one of such importance that I really appreciate all of you for your interest. So with that, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Good job.